All right, well, it's good to be together. Thank you for slogging through the rain and the ice and the snow uphill both ways, I'm sure. At least that's how my parents told me it always happened. Let me go ahead and dismiss our young ones. Save a choice in the house. And so if you are small enough to fit in one of those tiny chairs, you are dismissed, released, free. The rest of us, courageous people, let me invite you to turn to what is Safer Schmote, what is the Book of Names, what we like to call Exodus. If you're grabbing a pew Bible, page 47, the words will be on the screen behind me all through the morning, so we've got you covered. Today we continue working our way through the Torah. Working our way through, taking it Parsha by Parsha. Working our way through what I have been calling the Jesus backstory. Jesus, again, being the fulfillment of the Torah. In fact, Matthew 5 and 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish, says the law or the prophets. Do not think I have come to abolish Torah or the Nevi'im. I have not come to abolish, he says, but I have come to fulfill. And so with that in mind, we are working our way through the Torah, through the backstory to the, the birth and the life and the death and the teachings of Jesus, what is the first five books of our Bibles, noting we have traveled so far through the book of Genesis, Sefer Bereshit, all of its 12 parshiot, and we are now in Exodus, and today we are picking it up with Parsha Bo, which picks up Exodus 10 and 1 and travels through Exodus 13 and 16, and by way of recent recollection, The Egyptians have enslaved the Israelite people, oppressed them through through forced labor. They have killed off the newborn Hebrew boys. In spite of that, Moses, a newborn Hebrew boy, survives. He's actually raised in part by Pharaoh's daughter. Long story short, he grows up, flees for his life, goes to Midian. There's a whole thing with a burning bush. God speaks to him, and out of that experience, Moses hears Exodus 3 and 10, So now go. I, God, am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out. I'm sending you, Moses, back to Egypt to bring my people, the Israelites, out. What, again, is the dominant theme in this book of Exodus. It's why we call it the book of Exodus, right? The, the overarching sort of narrative here is, is the departure, is, is the escape, the exit, is the, is the exodus. And with it is, is all kinds of drama, right? Plague after plague after plague. This, this is kind of the stuff made for movie kind of stuff, right? There's water turning into blood. That's at the beginning. At the end, there's more blood, Egyptian firstborn, And in between, there's hordes of frogs and flies and gnats and locusts and and there's boils and there's and there's hail. And with that, there is slavery and there is injustice and there is and there is suffering and there is pain and there is ache and there is groaning and there is there is crying out. 
in what is in the, all in the midst of this sort of epic showdown between God and the Pharaoh and, and, and flowing all throughout all of that sort of drama, we actually find God's heart revealed. And we can think back two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, right? God, God says you matter. God says you are, are precious. Right? God loves you. He, he knows your name. He says, look up at the sky and count the stars. Right? He takes out the stars according to their number. And all of them he knows by name. We can think back to last week. When, when, when God says, God says, I hear you. Right in the midst of, of that struggle, in the midst of your struggle, I, I hear you. I hear your ache. I hear your suffering. Right when, when life seems the darkest, when, when that situation feels the most hopeless, Right, God says, I hear you and I remember. I will bring you out. I will, I will free you. I will redeem you. I will, he says, take you as my, as my own. And it's, it's that same heart of God that flows in and through today, Parsha Bo, and flows in and through the life then of Jesus. We capture it right here in the opening of Parsha Bo. Parshavot gathers up the last three of the ten plagues, the last of which motivates Pharaoh to demand that the Israelites leave, which they do. And then we get this kind of whole section on, on laws. But right here, it's in the opening, we see the heart of God. Exodus 10 and 1 begins, we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go. What is Bo in Hebrew? It's where we get the name Parshabo. Simultaneously, it means to come. And so we could translate this, come to Pharaoh, go to Pharaoh, come to Pharaoh. For it says, I, God, have, and then we read, hardened his heart. Now, I don't want to spend but a couple minutes here, just kind of as a side note, though, because this word hardened comes up over and over again. And it can be one that's challenging at times, because we read of Pharaoh's heart being hardened, and sometimes it's Pharaoh who kind of hardens his own heart, and sometimes we read that God is the one that's doing it, and that can raise all sorts of, of questions. And I'm just bringing this up briefly just to say that in our English translations, what we read as hardened actually has a couple of different Hebrew words underneath it, kabod and hazak. And kabod is hardened, but think of it as heavy like a heavy heart. Hazak also can be translated hard or hardened, and yet it carries this idea of strength. And so kabod would, be, would, would, would have the, the nuance of, of stubbornness, whereas hazak would have this idea of, of strength or of courage or of, of, of encourage. Now, not only that, but with that, then there's all sorts of questions about, is this passive? Is this active? Is this stative? Which leads to all kinds of more ambiguity. And I say that simply to bring to our attention that, that we read this hardened heart something like over 20 times, over 20 times throughout all of the plagues in, 
and all through Exodus. And yet in the English translation, we get hardened. There is no distinction. And yet underneath in the, in the Hebrew, there is, there's a fair amount of nuance. And so I just stick that away somewhere, tuck it away, and we'll save that for another day. But for today, let's keep going. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, come to Pharaoh, for I, God, have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them. Verse two, that, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them and that you, and here's where we will land today, that you, it says, may know that I am the Lord. That you may know that I am the Lord. And that's where I want to land. That's what I kind of want to parse out a little bit today, expound on. Noting that the word know here is from the Hebrew yada, which hopefully sounds familiar to a few of you. Yada is one of those words that it can have a number of different meanings depending on the context, but kind of at its core, it means to know, to be known, to make oneself known. It's this idea of, of to reveal. Noting here in the Hebrew, it is written as vidatem ki ani. And then it says Yahweh, which in my translation here, it says that you may know I am the Lord, right? That you may know vidatem, that I, I am, ki ani. And then it says Yahweh. And so not only do we have this word know that has a deeper meaning or a sense of of relationship and intimacy and closeness and connection. It's also not just the Lord. It actually says in the Hebrew, it says Yahweh, which is actually in contrast to in Parsha Vayera, Exodus 6 and 3, which reads, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as, and there it says God Almighty in most translations. It's really El Shaddai in the Hebrew. And it says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, but by my name, Yahweh, not the Lord, but Yahweh, the Lord is the translation that we get, I did not make myself fully known. Right? It, it says I did not yada to them. I did, I did not, again, think intimacy and closeness and, and connection. And yet here, God, at this moment, in the midst of all of the, of the drama, in the midst of all the kabod and the hazak, in, in, the, in the midst of all of these, these plagues, viratem kiani Yahweh, that you may know I am Yahweh. Now what we want to get with Yahweh is that it's not simply talking about a name here. This does not mean that we simply know his name as Yahweh, as Avi Weinstein, head of Jewish studies, as he puts it, he, said, he writes, you're your forefathers, and referring here to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your forefathers, God says, received a pale reflection of my presence. Well, you know the essence of my name. For I did not reveal my essential name to them, but only to you. Meaning in Yahweh, right, is this, this kind of intimacy of relationship. We have the fullness, we could say, of his presence. Haim Ben Torah, the author and scholar and linguist, he goes on to say, knowing his God's name means more than just knowing how to pronounce his name or even what his name means. 
It means having an intimate relationship with him. And so God says to to Moses, right, all of this is happening. At, at, At the very heart of it, all of this is so that you may know. So that you may know that I am Yahweh. Translation, that, that you, you may have an intimate relationship with me. That we might have closeness and, and connection. And in the same way, right, in the same way that, that two weeks ago we saw that God calls you by name, right, which is, is not about God reciting your name, right, but it's, it's God saying you matter. You're precious to me. I love you. Right? And in the same way here, Vidatem Kiani Yahweh. It's our invitation here and now to a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. It's an invitation. God says, says, I want closeness and I want connection. It's interesting when we read this kind of intimacy. We read this kind of intimacy from Psalm 91. You can read all of it later. I just want to touch on a portion of it. But it's really kind of fascinating. Psalm 91, dropping down to the 14th verse, we read, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for, and here's the reason why, he acknowledges my name. Now, at first reading, that may all sound a little bit benign, like where are we going with this? But stay with me, because according to the Midrash, which is the kind of that extensive compendium of... Jewish biblical exegesis. It states in there that Moses is the author of Psalm 91. It was believed to have been written at the culmination of the building of the tabernacle. But even more than that, I think the language here, if we kind of parse it out a little bit, because he loves me, noting the word loves here is from hashak in the Hebrew. It's this idea of being attached to this idea of, of, of being pressed together, we could say bound together, that sense of oneness, right? In other words, Hashak, it's, it's about intimacy, it's about connection, it's about closeness. Because he loves me, because he is attached to me, pressed together, bound together as one, says the Lord, or more specifically here, not El Shaddai, but Yahweh. And then it says, I will rescue him, I will protect him, which is similar language, and we can think back again to to last week, right? The four expressions of redemption, right? It has the sense of, I will bring you out, I will free you, redeem you, I will take you as my, my own for, and here's the reason why he says he acknowledges my name. What is again, not El Shaddai, right? A pale reflection, but is Yahweh, right? The fullness of the very presence of God. And then finally, I want us to note that in our translation, that word acknowledge may be a bit surprising, but the Hebrew behind it is yada. He acknowledges my name, yada, intimacy, closeness, relationship. And so in a sense, it really comes full circle. Right? That you that you know that I am Yahweh. Not just my name, but the fullness of the expression of me. Right? The fullness of the expression of, of, of God, that you may have an intimate relationship, closeness and connection. God says at the very heart and center of all of this 
trauma, all of the, the plagues, the kabad, the hazak, right? All of it is so that viratem kiyani, that you may know that I am God, that we could have this relationship together. Now, Jesus himself speaks of this. I mean, Jesus himself lives this. John 17, Jesus is praying. In fact, the entire length of John 17 is a, is a prayer. I'm going to just pick it up briefly here. In verse 1, we read, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life. Uh, this is beautiful, and this is eternal life. Eternal life that's not just for someday out there, but eternal life that begins right here and right now. And this is eternal life, that they know you. That they know you. The only true God, Yahweh, and Jesus, right? The fullness of the presence of God, whom you have sent. That they know you here is gnosko. Gnosko is the Greek translation of the Hebrew yada. Point being, right here, eternal life. What is it? It's about relationship. It's about connection. It's about closeness. Right? This idea of the fullness of another's presence. Bound together as, as one. For that day and for this day. And it's always been, Vida Tem Kiani Yahweh, right? That I may know, that you may know I am Yahweh, right? So that we might have this intimate connection together, this closeness together. Now, if you were anything like me, and I, I often go straight to, well, that sounds great, but now what? And I tend to be like, well, what do I need to do? In fact, intimacy sometimes can feel a little overwhelming and scary. Like, what does it even mean to be intimate, maybe, with God? And for that, I want to look at one last passage. I think it really flows with the songs that we sing this morning. But Psalm 46, and again, you can read all of this later, but Psalm 46 and 10 simply says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And some of this may sound a bit familiar. Be still comes from that Greek word, rapha. We're invited to rapha. Rapha means to let go, to release. It can mean to stop or to, to relax. Noting with that, rapha comes to us in the imperative, meaning it's as a command meaning it's not something that comes naturally to us, right? Especially in the midst of the struggle. Jesus, you just want me to be still. You want me to refah. Keeping in mind, the psalm also was written by King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was the 13th king of Judah. And this is written at a particular time when, when Hezekiah and all of Jerusalem is under siege. They are surrounded. They are, are outnumbered. We could say they're stressed, they're overwhelmed, they're, they're desperate. And yet it's precisely at that moment we read, be still. Rafa. 
let go, release. And it says, and yada. God, meaning it's precisely at that moment, right, that God says, come close. Connection, intimacy. that you may know that I am Yahweh. All of which leads me to ask, and I want to invite us into some open worship to sit and to reflect, and maybe to consider how might I experience greater intimacy with God? How might I experience greater intimacy with God? What would that look like for you this week? You know, for me, I recognize that just having times of letting go and releasing are far too, far too far apart. And I tend to do a lot of things for God. And yet the invitation, he says, is to come. I want greater intimacy with you. What would that look like for you today, this week, this month, maybe this year? We could ask, how might I live more fully in the fullness of His presence? How might I live more fully, the, the fullness of me and the fullness of Him? Right, and I can think about my time and my energy and my ego, my stuff, my finances. How might I live more fully in the fullness of His presence? And, and then with that, we could, say, we could ask, what would it look like for you to be still? What would that look like for you to, to refah? No matter what's happening, maybe, maybe especially in that deep struggle, that difficult relationship, What would it look like for you to be still? How might you practice this way of stillness? Maybe even when life seems darkest, when, when it seems most hopeless. In what situation we could ask, in what situation is God calling you to stop and relax? In what struggle is God telling you to be still and to know? To refah and yadah. Vidatem kiani, that you may know that I am Yahweh.